This is Pave It Black. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Pave It Black, the official podcast of the National Asphalt Pavement Association. My name is Richard Willis, and today I'm here with Ben Bowers from Auburn University. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you? Doing well. If you could just give everyone a little bit of background about who you are and what you've been doing for the asphalt industry and at Auburn University. Yeah, absolutely. So I am uh, a little bit about me. I'm a native North Carolinian, so grew up in North Carolina. Went to school in North Carolina at UNC Charlotte and then made my way to the University of Tennessee, which I like to think endears me to my now new home at another SEC school. We got my PhD at Tennessee studying asphalt pavements. And uh, then I spent four and a half years actually working for the Virginia Transportation Research Council, which is the research division of the Virginia DOT. So I got to wear the DOT hat for a while. And then about two years ago, made my way down to Auburn and uh, joined as an assistant professor here and 99% of my work is with NCATS, the National Center for Asphalt Technology down here. Awesome, I have fond memories of my time down as a graduate student working with NCAT and the, and the university there. So today we really want to start talking about a topic that I would say has recently started to get a lot of press, it started to get a lot of publicity, and you're even seeing this word tossed around on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. a lot these days. Mm-hmm. And that word is resilience. If Ben Bowers were given a chance to give an elevator speech or define what resilience was, what would you say it is? That's a great question. So I'm actually going to take the attention and point it towards the Federal Highway Administration definition that's in Order 5520, and that is the ability to anticipate, prepare for, and adapt to changing conditions and withstand, respond, and recover rapidly from disruption which is a long way of essentially pointing to the fact that things happen in our environment, things happen to us all the time, and we have to be able to, to withstand that and respond. So maybe a good example is, uh, you know, as we're recording this, I'm sitting in my home office, which in March was not a home office, it was simply a guest room, but we had this crisis happen in our country and in the world with this uh, coronavirus. And all of a sudden we're all trying to work from home and respond to that changing dynamic. I'm teaching from home. We're recording this podcast from home. You know, that's our adaptability in responding so that we can continue to get our job done, continue to serve the people we work with. Uh, So in some ways, that's maybe a good example of what resilience is, only now we're going to apply that idea to our infrastructure. Yeah, the the quote that I use sometimes to help people understand resilience, and whoever thought an asphalt guy would be quoting Mike Tyson, but it's everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's and right. It's, it's what are you going to do after you get hit to keep going and to, keep, and to bounce back? You're exactly right. There's got to be a reason why resilience is so hot today. Why has there been this uptick in people wanting to know about it? Why is it on everyone's mind? Yeah, that's a great question. My first reaction to that question is, well, goodness, think about let's just say 2018, we had two major hurricanes that I can think of. One hit my home state, a number of other states, Hurricane Florence, put a lot of folks in horrible situations, lost a lot of homes, a lot of roads. There's a picture of Interstate 40 in North Carolina, and it looks like a river. Hurricane Michael hit not far from us here in Auburn, down in Florida, 
And then I think about friends and some of the DOTs who are dealing with nuisance flooding due to king tides that are happening more frequently, our friends in the Midwest who are dealing with a lot of flooding situations that they are not used to seeing. It seems like some of these extreme events are happening more frequently. I know I've talked to some of our contractor partners and they're the ones who are kind of thrust into this and having to respond really quickly to kind of keep their community moving. It really just comes down to the fact that we're, we're seeing and experiencing a lot of events that um, we're not used to and they're, they're maybe more catastrophic than they used to be. It is still in this early stages of when people are really starting to try to understand it. I know Congress has told the National Academies to look into it and do a better job understanding it. But are, is there anything that's misunderstood or kind of misrepresented when, it, when people start talking about resilience compared to other things? Something that continues to come up is folks tend to use the word sustainability and resilience interchangeably. And while there are a lot of things that you can do that are resilient that are also sustainable, they're not the same thing. So I'm going to use an example, <clears throat> warm mix asphalt, right? So warm mix asphalt in its original intention helps lower greenhouse gas emissions, lower fuel use, things like that, right? And so it's a very sustainable application of warm mix. A resilient application is where you're increasing haul distance because some kind of event has knocked out an asphalt plant locally. And so now you're trucking from 150 miles away to rebuild a road that was washed out because of a hurricane. You're applying WMA, which was originally a sustainable technology for a resilient application. But just because it's resilient doesn't always mean it's sustainable either. So it's kind of, they can work in unison, but they're not the same thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And when, you, when you take your basic mechanics and materials class, there's a modulus of resilience and there's a modulus of toughness. And toughness and resilience are not the same thing. And it really shows people the importance of that ability to respond. Right. And, and not just respond, but respond in such a way that people don't even necessarily know something happened. It's getting things back to normal, moving on, getting things working again. Especially as we're dealing with COVID and the pandemic, um, normal is being redefined kind of every day. I think it's that ability to carry on that really is where resilience is gonna find its kind of niche. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think some, something else I wanna point out too is that a lot of folks think that to be more resilient, you must, we often use the word harden, your infrastructure, what we really mean strengthen it. And that can be really cost prohibitive in some cases too, right? You can only build up so much, you can only afford to build up so much. And so also thinking about resilience from a context of, okay, let's say our pavement washes out due to a massive flood. Can we get it rebuilt really quickly so that by the time that family is wanting to make their way across town, that pavement's back in place? Or maybe it's simply just recognizing that we need to wait a little while before we load it again. There's just a lot of different ways to think about resilience. And it, it's not always that hardening too. And I think that's a, a common misconception. People just want to make things stronger. They want to armor everything. And it makes a lot more sense to not armor it, but just to, to wait and see what happens. It's a risk analysis, right? Yeah, I, I think you can't talk resilience without talking about risk and understanding, well, if, if I weren't to do this type of design, and the one in 1,000 year flood were to happen, right? what does that mean to me? Or do I have to design for all these things which we don't know if they'll ever happen? I think that there are some places, absolutely, you design for those worst case scenarios because 
the risk is a lot more likely that you're going to undergo that. I think the other part of that too is that it can also be a planning thing, right? So, you know, critical corridors, sure. Like we need to make sure that people can evacuate, people can move. We can get goods from one place to another, get people the supplies they need. But if we do have roads that are maybe lower traffic volumes or, or less, uh, I don't wanna say less important, but just less critical, making sure that we have a plan in place for that one in 1,000 year flood occurs, that we can actually respond quickly and take care of it. So it's, there's also a planning aspect. And I think as a materials guy, when I started thinking about this, I'm immediately thinking, you know, climate adaptable materials and things like that. But there's a huge planning part of this as well. And it, it's important to, for people to understand that, that you can plan for how to respond to these things. Just like we have fire escape plans in the buildings we work in uh, whenever we get to finally return to those, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. Most companies never planned for something like COVID. Some were well prepared and had plans in place. Others were flying by the seat of their pants every day as things started to shut down. And I think you're right. We can't necessarily know what's going to happen in the future, but do we at least have a process in place to help us react and help us move things through that process quickly? Yeah, you're exactly right. Kind of as, as we're starting to wrap things up, We've been talking about the term resilience kind of pretty loosely, and you've tied in a few kind of asphalt-related examples in terms of being, using warm mix in a resilient manner to, to increase the haul distance to get a road or mix to a place that needs it faster. But where does asphalt fit into the world, of, into a resilient world? And really, what does our industry need to do and be aware of kind of moving forward so that we can be a part of the solution? That's a great question. And I want to start with something that I really loved. I forget who said this to me, but they said that, you know, the asphalt industry can really be viewed as a first responder. When something happens that, you know, a roadway is no longer usable, asphalt can get out there quickly. The asphalt industry can place a road quickly. We can work with the agencies to get something in place so that folks can get from point A to point B rapidly. To look at yourself as a first responder is kind of a different perspective, maybe, than a lot of us think about us on a regular basis. Like, our first responders are our EMTs and our policemen and our firefighters. But after a major event, we need to be able to make sure those folks can get to people that need help. And so thinking about yourself as a first responder is important. And we, in the asphalt industry, work with a tool and a technology that allows us to do that. But with that in mind, we also, as an industry and as an academic who works a lot with the industry and with agencies, we need to be thinking about how to make sure our asphalt plants especially those in the coastal regions or in certain places are resilient themselves. And so if there's a hurricane coming, you know, I've heard stories of folks kind of moving their wrap stockpiles around to keep water out and keep their plants from flooding or maybe moving some certain controllers up to higher ground so that they can bounce back quickly and start serving the people immediately as soon as things start to clear up. Kind of the last thing in a more broad sense is the fact that asphalt industry has a lot of tools already. We talked about warm mix asphalt for haul distance, porous asphalt pavements to deal with stormwater, to help maybe move water from one side of a road to another quickly. Uh, using our climate adaptable materials. I mean, you can use polymers to stiffen a mix when you're gonna be subjected to really high temperatures or unusually high temperatures. Deep recycling of pavements with fresh asphalt overlays to build a more perpetual pavement system. Things like that. There's a lot of tools we already have. We don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. 
Some cases we just need to look to our neighbors who maybe have been dealing with these issues a lot more frequently than we have, or just think of new ways to apply the tools we have. Of course, as a researcher, I think there's a lot of things we continue need to look at and that we can really grow and, and, and find new solutions, but we already have a lot of solutions. We're not starting from ground zero as we start to think about this problem. We, we won't end this podcast by saying more research is needed, but we will say more conversations are needed, is we need industry, we need agencies, we need researchers sitting around a table and talking about what are the potential hazards or crises that we may be facing and what can we do to prepare for them? And that's not something that can be done in a box. It's, it's got to be something that is done as a community. I, I really hope that we can take some of the lessons and some of the things that we've seen over the past few years to, to realize the importance of that. I think about the Alaska earthquake that happened in December, um, right. right outside the Anchorage, I think it was the Anchorage airport. Right. And I mean, it's December in Alaska. That's not the ideal conditions for running an asphalt plant. Nope. But they were able to get out there that weekend and, and fix it. And it wasn't a long-term solution, but people could get in and out of the airport now. But I don't think any of that would have ever happened unless conversations had happened on, hey, what would you need to do if in the middle of December we had a crisis hit? Do you have a plan on how to get your asphalt plant back open up? And so I think it's planning on both the agency and, and industry side to be ready. You're right. And they're speaking of the Alaska earthquake and even some of the other case studies, both agency and you know, contractor supplier folks that I've talked to have talked about how important it was that they had these relationships because there was a, there was a trust formed. In a lot of ways, a bond formed. And so when they're out there trying to figure out, you know, we've got this massive hole because of this earthquake and we need to get it filled and we need to get it paved. And we're dealing with extreme conditions. It's extremely cold up in Alaska. They were able to work together and there was a lot of trust. They were able to bounce ideas off of each other. And they also had talked about, you know, how they were going to handle contracts and things like that in those situations. You can't overemphasize how important that human element is. Well, Ben, I, I really appreciate you taking some time today to, to talk to us about resilience. And I know we're going to be hearing from you a lot in the next few months on this topic. I know you've got a, a report that should be coming out this fall from NCAP, but also working with us and the ind help educate the industry. We appreciate your leadership and your willing to kind of step to the front to help us understand what we need to be doing to, to be more resilient as an industry and help our infrastructure be more resilient. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Richard. I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to, to help out and help serve the people, right? That's ultimately what this is about. So, yep, you're right. Well, thank you again, Ben, for being on the podcast today. And I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to us talk about resilience today. This is Pavement Black, the official podcast of the National Asphalt Pavement Association. My name is Richard Willis. And just remember, as you're driving around on America's highways, there's a good chance someone from our industry paved it black. Pave It Black is produced by Monica Dutcher of the National Asphalt Pavement Association with podcast theme music credits to Colleague. You can find Pave It Black on most of your favorite platforms, including SoundCloud and iTunes, or at www.asphaltpavement.org podcast. If you would like to suggest someone for us to interview, 
please email Richard Willis at rwillis at asphaltpavement.org. That's R-W-I-L-L-I-S at asphaltpavement.org. Until next time, keep paving it black.